I think it's interesting hearing the word senior pastor because a lot of the people at our church think I'm a junior pastor. They always ask me, you're, you're the pastor? When somebody first meets me and they say, you're much too young to be a pastor. And I tell them I'm really 58 years old. I just aged, aged gracefully. Most of them don't believe me and then tell me a pastor shouldn't lie. Uh, <clears throat> this church, I don't know if y'all know it, but uh, Christy and I uh, had come to the States and uh, I don't remember if we were on furlough or why exactly we had come in, um, but David Smith from the Austin Baptist Association, uh, he said, hey, do you want to speak at our associational meeting? And I said, sure, when is that? And he goes, it's tonight. And I said, David, you, uh, you have speakers for that, I'm sure. He said, yes, I already have two of them. You'd be the third. And I thought, well, it sounds like you got a full schedule. Well, it was that night uh, as I spoke I didn't know it, but there were people from our church at, in Oak Hill who had come, and uh, they started writing me gently and then forcefully, saying, hey, what do you think about pastoring our church? And Christy and I, uh, we had been overseas for years in one of the most unreached countries in the world, and uh, we said, no, no thank you. God's using us. We want to minister here. We love it here. And they were persistent. And uh, we started to pray and fast, and as we prayed and fast, it, it became very evident that, uh, that we were supposed to come back and pastor this church. And uh, I can tell you, uh, I don't know about y'all, but uh, when I try to do things on my own, it doesn't go too well. But when God uh, convicts us and draws us and we take that leap of faith, he always, always blesses it. And it's been this, this last six or seven months has been a joy back in the United States, um, we got two cars, a house, and furniture, and uh, bought everything new. We had a few boxes uh, left in a barn in East Texas. And my wife, uh, she got to open up wedding gifts that she had never opened up before, and she put them in cabinets, and I saw her start to build her nest. And uh, we get to eat Mexican food, and we have ESPN here. There's a lot of great things about being back in America. I will tell you, uh, and then I'm going to get started uh, teaching, uh, your, your pastor is a man that immediately made an impression on me. Um, we hadn't been in America for years. We'd been serving overseas, and at that uh, one meeting, uh, Samuel and I began speaking, and instantly I knew a few things about him. I knew that he loved the Lord with his heart, soul, mind, and his strength. I knew he was vigilant about teaching God's word, not just teaching what he thought, but teaching God's word very clearly. And then I also realized not only was he very strong doctrinally, but he was a man that took his role and position in his leadership very seriously. Well, it's funny, we crossed paths three or four times, and he would say something, and I'd run over to him after a meeting and say, hey, let's talk about that. And I would say something in a meeting, and he'd come over, and he'd say, give me your thoughts about that. And uh, we met for lunch, and it was supposed to be an hour lunch, and we talked for three hours. Uh, I'm honestly saying this. The one thing I'm jealous about this morning is I don't get to sit at First Baptist Church Oak Hill and listen to your pastor's teaching. I think the Lord is, is using him, and um, I'm envious of y'all. Um, I get to teach, but it's so fun, and I would love it to consistently sit under his leadership because he loves the Lord and he teaches God's word. Uh, let's pray. God, we praise you as a creator, Father. You are worthy. You are perfect. God, uh, you, you are the reason that we came here today. 
Lord, I don't know what's going on in each person's heart and each person's mind. I don't know the struggles they're going through. I don't know if there's difficulties at work or with finances. I don't know if there's relational problems. I don't know if there's sin or addiction. But God, I pray that right now at this moment, you would be Lord of our lives. You would lead us and you would teach us through your word. God, I pray that you would encourage each and every one of us that are discouraged. God, I pray that you would convict us in ways that we need to grow in our relationship with you. God, I pray that we would hear your word and it wouldn't slip from our ears and our hearts quickly, but God, I pray that we would apply it. God, we are your people, and God, we are often uh, wayward. God, we are often fleshly. God, forgive us of that. Purify me of my sins. Let nothing hinder the deliverance of your word. God, may you be honored. May you be glorified. And uh, God, we submit to you as, as our authority. God, we love you and we worship you. I pray that your spirit would move here today. I ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Please stand for the reading of God's word. We're gonna be reading out of Acts. I don't know if y'all normally stand for the reading of God's word, but it's something that uh, we get our exercise at First Baptist Church Oak Hill because out of reverence for this book, we wanna stand. And uh, everything that I do this morning, I'm going to be teaching from his word. Uh, but I want you to listen to intently as these words are read out of scripture. It's going to be Acts chapter 4, and we're going to start in verse 32, and we're going to go to Acts chapter 5, verse 11. I'll give you all a couple minutes to get there. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 through 511. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything that they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money, from the sails and put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone as he had need. Verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned, brought the money, and put it at the apostles' feet. Chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also, Sapphira also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit, you have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Then the young men came forward, wrapped up his body, carried him out, and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened, and Peter asked her, Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? Yes, she said, that is the price. Peter said to her, How could you agree to test the Spirit of the Lord? 
Look, the feet of men who buried your husband are at the door. They will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet and died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, and buried her beside her husband. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Please be seated. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Now often, when we uh, live our life, we don't think about the seriousness of sinning against God. But that's really, you can sin against someone else and offend them, but really what you're doing is you're sinning against a holy God. We just heard a song, It Is Well With My Soul. It said, Though He descends, though the Savior, the Messiah, the chosen one descends. He has no sin. It says that we can celebrate because it's well with our soul. We don't have to fear. We don't have to be scared. We can celebrate, and actually, it will be a time, Scripture says, that we will get the inheritance that God has as children, as adopted heirs. Everything that God has will become ours we will spend eternity worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ if we have faith in Jesus as our Savior and we repent of our, of our sins. Now, I often think about this because it's a little convicting. I don't know if y'all have done anything worthy of death, but Scripture says that uh, the wages of sin is death. Now, imagine if you came up to Samuel and said, Hey, Samuel, I want to give uh, a large sum of money to this church now I'm sure he would say praise the Lord tell me about that and if, if you gave some money but the Lord had convicted you to give more than that how many of you truly think that as you're in this conversation with Samuel you could keel over at that moment and die that's sobering when we think about sin see as a non-believer the wages of sin causes us death or eternal separation from our Lord and Savior. As a believer, we have freedom in Christ, but Paul says, should you keep on sinning? But by no means. But I truly believe this, and there may be some people that will disagree with this. I think this is strong scriptural precedence to show that God wants to have a holy church. But I believe that as a believer, if you habitually sin and pursue the things of Satan, I believe that God will take you out. That's a big statement. I believe that if you habitually sin and you choose to tarnish God's name as a believer and tarnish his church, I believe that God will take you out. Now, what does that mean? Let me give you an example. There's a, someone that's been coming to our church, and this person is openly rebelling against God. There's a situation where there's been abuse. There's a situation where there's a power struggle. There's a situation where the law is involved. Now, I'm new to this church. I don't know much about it, but I remember early on having a thought in my interaction with this person. I remember thinking, this guy's about to be in big trouble. And when, when he hits the bottom, he's going to bounce. He's going to hit so hard. Now, what does this mean? Well, his physical health, gone. This man also, in the last few weeks, after openly rebelling against God and rebelling against me, not only is his physical health gone, but this man has also lost his job. This man had a private plane. He had vacation homes. He had all kinds of things. He lost his job. 
This man's family is in shambles. Now, this is something that I know. Most of the people at our church, they, they don't see or understand or know a situation like this. But I'm telling you now, Christian, if you have faith in Jesus Christ, God wants you to pursue him with your heart, with your soul, with your strength, and with your mind. I want to tell you a story about uh, when I was in, in Turkey. We were, uh, we had, I owned a coffee company so we could be in Turkey uh, sharing the gospel, but you can't be in that country just doing missions work and sharing with unreached peoples. And so I ran a coffee company and God transitioned us from uh, Donna, Turkey, which is right by Tarsus, where Paul was born. He shifted us to Istanbul, a city of 18 million people. I'm a country boy. We live out in Dripping Springs. And uh, if I could be in the woods uh, 99% of the time, except for preaching, uh, I would be. And God put me and my family uh, in the middle of a huge city. Well, uh, during that time, God allowed us to be a part of planting churches. The amazing thing was we would proclaim the gospel and a lot of people wouldn't listen. But also, it was inevitable that I would, in a city of 18 million people, I would bump into people on a consistent basis that would have a desire to learn about who Jesus Christ was. Well, one of those guys, I won't tell you his name, uh, he came and he visited our little church. Now, we had a really big church. The country of Turkey is 68 million people, and it has less than 3,000 Christians in the entire country. 68 million people, less than 3,000 believers. Well, we were working with the Central Asian Church. People spoke in different tongues. We would have worship services in four to five different languages. And uh, it was an amazing thing to see the way God was pulling people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation to worship. Well, one lady, she was a very mature lady in our church, and, and, and God used her in great ways. She was probably in her upper 40s, early 50s. There was another guy who came to the church and he was visiting and had an interest in knowing about the Lord Jesus. He was not a member of the church and I saw them kind of making eyes at each other. And I thought, uh-oh, this could be a situation. She was a mature believer. He was not a believer. And uh, they were both quietly do stuff, but I would notice, and I believe this was from the Lord, uh, when we would leave church, they would go different ways and then I'd bump into them at the boat dock and they'd be together. Well, I'm not very observant, but I thought I need to, to ask about this situation. Well, after inquiring, I realized that it, it was uh, a new relationship, and they had both fallen into sin, and they had had sex with each other. So I had a decision to make. How am I going to uh, approach this? One believer, one non-believer, not married, and they had an inappropriate relationship. Well, it was a small church. Uh, to us, but it was a big church in the country of Turkey, there was probably 20 people that were consistently coming. I don't care about the size of a church. I don't think God cares about the size of a church. I think what he cares is that a church has true disciples. And when God's word is being proclaimed and people are truly disciples of the Lord, I believe that there's an energy because people see God's reflection in the church and it draws people to itself. So, how many of y'all are familiar with church discipline? Raise your hand if you are. If more hands don't go up, I'm going to talk to Samuel a little bit. <clears throat> I knew that this was going to be a hard conversation, but I approached this couple, and, and I went to the lady first 
with someone else, a leader in the church. We had her over for, for a lunch, and I said, hey, I understand that you're having a relationship with so-and-so. Could you tell me about this? And we read Matthew 18. We walked through Scripture, and we talked about different situations. And I told her, I said, uh, I also read the story about the woman caught in adultery. And I said, the one person that could have judged that woman, he told them, he who is without sin casts a first stone. And I said, this is a great opportunity for you to repent. Well, at first, as most Central Asians get when you approach them, she got angry, strongly angry, combative. And we read some more scripture, and I watched her heart turn, and she started weeping, and she said, I don't want to do this. I'm lonely. She said, I, I know this is wrong. I struggle in this area. And she, I said, let's pray. She repented to the Lord. As soon as we got done praying, she pulls out her cell phone, pulls the battery out of the cell phone, gives me the phone and says, Pastor, I need a new cell phone, and I don't want this person to ever contact me again. Then she looked over at a lady, and she said, I want to meet with you consistently and talk about this because I'm weak in this area, and I want you to pray. And then she said, you better not talk to this guy, because if you do, it could be trouble. Well, I'm 5'7", 165 pounds. She didn't know that I won uh, wrestling in the state of Texas. Plus, I have God on my side and God's scripture on my side. And I told her, I'm not scared. I said, the reason I'm not scared is because I believe God's word can bring deliverance. And I believe that God will bless his church if it's holy and pursuing him and the things that are right before him. Well, then I met my good friend. We were riding a boat, and I said, hey, I understand that you're having an in, uh, inappropriate relationship at our church. Tell me about that. And he said, Pastor, I have sinned. That was his response. No trouble. Pastor, I have sinned. He said, I've been watching what's going on at that church, and it's a good church. It's a clean church. It's doing good things. You teach the word of God. He said, I will do anything that you want me to do. Listen to that. This man is having sex with a woman that he's attracted to. I'm coming and trying to separate them. And he said, I will do anything that you ask me to do. That's the type of God that we serve. That's a man with a, a godly attitude, even though at that point he hadn't accepted Christ. Both of them said something very interesting to me that day. The lady said, if you want me to leave the church, I will leave the church. And I told her, I said, you're a woman struggling in sin. You know that you need help. You know that you need accountability. You know that scripture says you're supposed to worship on a consistent basis and you want to leave the church? I said, we want you to be at the church. We want to love you and care for you. And she was relieved. The man said the same thing. He said, you want me to leave? Do you want me to leave the church? And I said, I'll tell you what you want me to do. We're planning a church over here. I think if you spend consistent time together, it's going to be hard for you to separate from this sin. I said, come over to this church and help me plant this church. A little while later, um, this man was saved. A little while after that, he was sharing the gospel with other Muslim brothers and sisters. And this man, in, in the relationship that him and I had, that was a landmark time when I approached him and said, this is sin and you need to repent and flee from that sin. And he would say, Pastor... You know more about me, and you loved me and accepted me than almost anybody on this planet, including my family. He said, I love you, and I want to serve the Lord. And he said, one day, I want to be a minister just like you. 
Now, it's a beautiful story, but we're going to see the opposite thing take place. Let's pick back up in Acts chapter 4. If you have a Bible, we're going to read along verse by verse. Uh, we see in Acts chapter 4, verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and in mind. Now, I don't know about this church, but in my church, sometimes, let me rephrase that, in the Lord's church that he's allowed me to pastor, sometimes it's hard to get us all thinking with one heart and one mind. Is that a difficult thing? The thing that unites us Every single person in this room that's accepted Christ as their Savior, the thing that unites us is Jesus Christ. His teachings, His Word, and the Spirit comes inside of us and leads us, and that's what the Holy Spirit does. God is a God of clarity, not a God of confusion. He joins believers, and He tells us, repent of sin and flee the things that are of this world. They were one in mind. No one claimed that any of His possessions was His own, but they shared everything that they had. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. I really mean this. Uh, if you're part of a family that has two vehicles right now, raise your hand. Okay, you can put your hand down. If you saw somebody in church that had a need, would you be willing to sell that car in order or truck? Would you be willing to sell that vehicle to provide for the needs of the people here at this church? If you saw somebody in need, let me ask you another question. How many of you have a house that there's one bedroom in your house that's currently not being used? Raise your hand. Okay. If you saw somebody in your church that had a need, would you be willing to give up that room to love and care and support that person? Let me ask you a third question. If you had land, I have a little bit of land, and I walk on that land... I truly believe it's a blessing from the Lord. I spend hours on that land. In fact, uh, sometimes I have to uh, repent to my wife to tell her I need to spend more time or less time on that land and more time us all together here in Austin. But this is a hard question for me. If somebody said, there's a, there's a need in the church, will you sell this land? I mean, I walk on this land, and I seriously, it brings me to praise and to prayer on a consistent basis. Simple little place, but I, every time I step foot, almost every time I set foot on that soil, I say, God, thank you for this. I love that land. And it's a hard thing for me to think, if somebody in our church has a problem, that God would allow me or even want me to sell that and to give to his people. Let me rephrase it. If your son or daughter had an alcohol or a drug problem, or they didn't have food, they couldn't provide for themselves, would you tighten up and give them some money to provide for them for their well-being? Raise your hand if you do that for your family. Almost all of us would. This is a church family, and what the Lord is saying is that we need to not just take care of our own family, we need to take care of the body of Christ. With great power, the apostles continued to testify. Listen to the, what the apostles' message was. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. They continued to testify, the Savior has come, and he's born, he's raised from the dead, so that you can have a relationship and be right before a holy God. There were no needy persons among them. Let me say that again. 
there were no needy persons among them in the entire church because they loved the Lord and they shared what they had. If you love the Lord and you're supposed to love others as yourself, how could you let other people go in your church and not provide for them? From time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet. It was distributed to anyone, anyone, as they had a need. Joseph, a Levi from Cyprus, whom the apostle called Barnabas. I love this about Scripture. It's very specific. It's talking generally. They were unified. They were proclaiming the message of the gospel like a lot of church. And then there was Joseph says that Joseph, a Levite, he was from Cyprus. The apostles called him Barnabas. Can't get any more, you know. This is, this is Charles, a.k.a. Bubba, who works over there. He's got a family of this many people. He's from back, back over there in the woods. Y'all know who I'm talking about. And he's selling his land to give it. A reputation of God's people is coming about. And so they weren't doing this for show. They were providing for needs, and people knew and understood this had happened. His nickname was Son of, an Encour- Son of Encouragement. What a great nickname. He sold the field he owned. He brought the money. He put it at the apostles' feet. Now, I want to stop right there for a second. He put it at the apostles' feet. Now, a lot of us, we want to give quietly. Scripture says, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. We're supposed to give. I'm actually really careful about this. Um, My wife and I don't give in such a way that the church has any idea we're giving. Now, we're not ashamed of what we're giving, and we're we're not trying to hide it, but we think this should be done privately, even though it's to to be done privately. So privately, I have a friend that travels on business, and when Christy and I want to help someone, I send the money to him. He goes to another state in America he gets a money order from that state, mails it from that state to a person with a need. There's no way they're going to figure out who it is. Unless y'all tell them. Don't tell people at our church that we do that. But the point is, I want it to be done anonymously, but what did they do when they brought gifts? They brought it and they put it at the apostles' feet. They brought it to the leaders of the church. Why is this important? It's important for two reasons. One reason it's important is because God has set aside leaders. Scripture says elder pastors, overseers, it's all the same term, and deacons are set aside people based on character. The only difference between those two leaders set aside by character from the the church is that an elder pastor overseer has the ability to teach. Now, that doesn't mean he's charismatic and strong and good and entertaining. What I believe the ability to teach is, is to to use the Scripture to encourage other people and to handle the Scriptures well. So, God is entrusting people based on their character. One of those characteristics is not a lover of money. And I, as a pastor of our church, I know a lot of people that are struggling and they have needs, but the other people in our church don't understand that all the time. And what I've noticed, sometimes when I give to people in need, they'll, they'll resist and fight because they don't want to be charity. So if everybody at the church knew, it would be really embarrassing to them. But also, we can meet the needs of people in our church and provide for them, but also, it allows for us to not meet the needs uh, more than we need to. Now, let me explain what I mean. I went to a church 
overseas for a long time and there was a guy that had a great need and he came to me and, and I was helping him financially. The Lord had provided for me everything that I have is from God and I would give to him. Well, I had an accountability partner and we were praying one day and I said, hey, let's pray for this guy. I know that he's struggling a little bit. I didn't go into detail and he goes, yeah, we need to pray for him. I've been talking for him and support, been supporting him a little bit financially. I want you have. We found out that five or six different people were giving money to him. You should let someone know at your church how that they can provide. That way other people can be supported also and taken care of also. There's a sense of accountability. Let me tell you one other story related to that and then we're going to keep going. There was a guy that Christy and I knew uh, when we were in seminary. This guy, uh, he had just got out of the military. His mother had been a prostitute and had basically disowned him. His father had, had died of AIDS. He was raised in an orphanage. He went into the military, got out of the military, was at the mall, and bumped into this cute young lady, and he said, I want to take you out on a date. And she said, you can't go out on a date with me, but you can come to church. And he thought about it and said no. She bumped into him again. I think it was a divine appointment. She said, no way, but you can come to church. Well, the guy, guy being a guy, he said, well, for that girl, she looks really good. I'll go ahead and go to church. He gets to church. She comes over to me and says, Rob, I don't know this guy very well, but he came to church. Go make friends with him. And so I did. I went to hang out with him. At that time, I was just a member at the, this church. I make friends with him. Then we go and see the Passion for Christ. It was showing in a theater at the time. Then after that... Uh, we, he came over to the house and had lunch. Christy made him something good to eat. Maybe it was dinner. Made something good to eat. Later on in the week, late at night, opened the door. He walks in, sits down, and says, I want to accept Christ as my Lord and Savior. I said, giddy up. Let's go. And I told him how he could have a relationship with Christ. Well, this guy obviously had some baggage. He had had some trouble with the law. Uh, he, he did great. Uh, he was working. He was on probation but doing well. One day he's driving uh, a police car. He's going the other way, flips its lights on, turns around. In his station wagon, he decided he'd run from the police. The police caught up with him, so he slams on his brakes of his car with his license plate on that car, slams on the brake, puts the car in park, and runs into the woods. Not too smart. God will punish people that habitually sin i find him before the police do because at two in the morning police come to my door because they knew that i'd been spending time with him i go find him i say let's you got a man up turn yourself in repent you did wrong he did i spoke for him in court got him out of a whole lot of trouble because he was doing well little while after that, Christy and I were moving to leave and go overseas. I don't talk about this a whole lot, but I think it's relevant to this. Uh, we had an extra car. We uh, gave him the car, and we said, make payments to us. And my thought was, if things aren't working well, I'll just go pick up the car. Well, he sold the car for about $2,000 less than it was worth, went to Florida, started doing drugs and things that he shouldn't do. A hurricane hits, so he can't be a roofer anymore. He goes to New York sold the, with the money that he sold the car for. He goes and pays in advance. Remember, he's running from the police. Pays in advance three or $4,000 in advance for an apartment. Comes back the next day to get the key, and the landlord said, 
You don't have an apartment here. He's illegal. He didn't sign a contract. He's run from the police. He doesn't have money. Spends a couple days on the street. Calls the church. Says to the church, I've messed up. God chased that boy with a hurricane. God allowed a dishonest person to not give him a place to live, and he lived on the streets. The people at our church said, well, we sold everything in your apartment. We paid the bills on the apartment that you bailed on. We paid your electric bill. We, we uh, have a little bit of money left over, and it's just about the exact amount that it's going to cost to get you back here to North Carolina. And he came, got back in the church. Now, I didn't tell my church that he stole that car from us. I didn't tell them. It was wrong of me to do that, in my opinion, because I didn't want him to have a, a bad reputa reputation or a stigma. We went overseas. About two years later, I heard that this guy started dating a girl at the seminary. She was giving him money. Somebody at church or at the seminary gave him a car, and he sold the car, kept the money, and skipped town. Now, why is it important when you give money to give it to the leaders in the church? Because those people, it's my job as a pastor of that church. It's my job to help make sure the money is distributed in a way that it should be distributed. But it also adds a level of accountability to the people in the church to make sure that they're not using money for stupid stuff. That man right now is still running from the Lord, I believe. And I believe that he's restless because the Holy Spirit won't turn him loose. I haven't talked to him in a long time. But I, I, just like Ananias and Sapphira were about to read, when you run from the Lord, habitually sin and choose your way over God's way for long enough, God's going to make it hard. Ask David. He lost his kingdom, lost his family, lost his reputation, and he was a man after God's own heart. Let's keep going. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, brought the rest, and he put it at the apostles' feet. Now, I want you all to really look at this passage closely. He is not being judged because he wasn't giving enough money. He was being judged because he cared more about his name and being showy. And so what he did is said, I'm going to give all the money from this land to the church and then he kept some of the money back because they didn't know how much he had sold it for. Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan... Now, how do y'all like it when a pastor says something like that to you? Why are you doing Satan's work? How is it that Satan is leading you? Most Americans would get up and leave at that point. How is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you've lied to who? You've lied to the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say you've lied to me. It says you've lied to God himself. How is it that Satan rules you and you would lie to God and you've kept for yourself some of the money you received for this land? Now, this is an explanation of why he was getting in trouble. Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? You could have kept your land. You didn't have to give any money, but instead you're going to lie about it. After it was sold, wasn't the money at your disposal? You could have kept the land or you could have kept the money. But instead, you decided to be showy and give the money and your reputation and your name and your arrogance and your pride and your pursuit of evil and not the Lord is going to cause you problems. What made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. Now, when you deceive and you cheat 
and you steal and you put yourself as Lord in your life, not only are you hurting others, but you're also disobeying the Lord. When Ananias heard this, he fell down and he died. Great fear seized all who heard what had happened. Now look at the attitude change. There was unity. There was joy. There was a celebration at the church. It said that everybody was unified. It said that anyone who had a need had the need provided. We shift gears here. There's sin and judgment. And great fear seized all who heard what had happened. The young man came forward, wrapped his body, carried him out, and buried him. If you're a deacon of this church, raise a hand. Raise your hand, please. Okay. So I see some deacons. What happened if somebody came in, sinned, killed over, and died, and Samuel gave you a call and said, Hey, can you come carry this body off, please? <laughs> Gives a new meaning to uh, servanthood, doesn't it? About three hours later, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. Listen to what Peter said. Tell me, he's, he's, he's very deliberate in this statement. Tell me, is this the price that you and Ananias got for the land? He knew how much money had come to the church, and he said, is that the price that you got for the land? What did she say? Yes. That's the price. Peter said to her, how could you agree to test who? The Spirit of God. Spirit of the Lord, look, the feet of men who buried your husband just finds out her husband's dead. They're at the door, and they will carry you out also. At that moment, she fell down at his feet, and she died. Then the young men came in, finding her dead, carried her out, buried her beside her husband. Listen to verse 11. For the Christian, it made them realize they serve a holy God. For the non-Christian, they realize if you dishonor God, there will be judgment. Great fear seized the whole church and all who heard about these events. Here's a few things that I want you to learn from this passage. All the believers were one in heart and mind because Jesus had redeemed them. You'll find this in verse 32. Jesus was a unifying body. They had his heart and his character changed them. Your heart and your character will not change if you don't have Christ as your Savior. His church must be of one heart and of one mind. His church must be of one heart and one mind. Are there any of you in this church that are digging your heels in because it's not your preference? It's not your opinion? You'd prefer that it be something else? You're disrupting the unity of God's church? God's church? They shared all they had because what they had was God's. It was not their own. We must see our things as being from God. God gives us everything we have, including salvation. We must take care of the needy. Let me repeat that. We, 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 not the rich people, not Samuel, not the deacons, we, the body of Christ, must take care of the needy. The church has clear leadership set aside by God, and we must trust them. The couple knowingly deceived the church. They wanted to look righteous to others. I, I have somebody at our church that is a new member, and he, we were sitting down eating. He said, Pastor, you're going to have to stop confessing. People are going to think something seriously wrong with you, that you got some deep sin in your life. I said, I do, and there is. 
I do have sin in my life that I have to repent for day to day. And also, there is something extremely wrong with me. I don't pursue God with my heart, soul, and strength all the time. And I said, I'm doing that deliberately because I need to do that to be right before God. But if a pastor up front confesses, it allows people at the church to confess and not act like they got everything figured out and they're perfect. Last night, we had a wild game dinner. We had hog, we had quail, we had venison, we had great catfish. I mean, it was awesome. It was a feast. And we had a speaker that, that really talked about guns and hunting. There's men and women and children there. And as the evening wore on, one guy raised his hand sharing his testimony. I didn't ask him to do this. He said, I have had a really high prestigious position here in Austin. And he said, I'm ashamed to admit I was pursuing the devil and I was saved when I was around 60 years old. He said, I was convicted and I was an alcoholic. And he said, every day in my life, I still want to drink. But he said, I don't. Then another person in the church said, I'm a new member at this church. And me and my wife, we, had a, we were dating and we had this baby. And so we got married and we were fighting and our relationship wasn't working out. And uh, I've started coming to church and I'm pursuing the Lord. And I've been turning around sharing the gospels with others because I believe that I need to return the favor. People shared the gospel with me. Now, this is a wild game dinner and a guy's talking about being an alcoholic. Another guy's talking about having a baby and their marriage struggles. Most people don't just do that in church. But you have to be honest. If, you don't, if you're not honest, nobody can really know where you're at. And the other thing is when you're honest, it allows the gospel to be heard. I had a seminary professor that talked about his struggle with pornography. And 50 people come, came forward and said that they were struggling with the same thing. In a Southern Baptist seminary, they came forward and said they needed help because he was transparent. God sees all that we do, and he is a righteous, just judge. We will be judged for our action. There's grace through the blood of Christ, but there are consequences to our sins. There's grace and consequences. They, br they thought they were just lying to the church, but this passage says that they lied to the Holy Spirit, the holy, perfect, pure Spirit of God. Last point, this action, it was from Satan. It looked good to others, but the motivation was not pleasing to the Lord. Let's close in prayer. God, you are a perfect, righteous God, and God, you deserve uh, perfection. And God, we habitually lie and cheat and steal and dishonor you. But God, as your people, we pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us. You deliver us from evil, that we wouldn't be tempted, and that God, when we do sin, I pray that we would confess it quickly, that we would repent, that we would turn away from, and we turn right back to you. God, I pray that we'd be honest with each other so we could have accountability. And just like that lady confessed and asked for help and accountability and she was restored, God, I pray that if there's any sin in this church, Lord, I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that person would be convicted, they would repent, and they would share it with someone else. God, for whatever reason, you are a God of light and you ask us to be transparent and to bring things to the light. God, I pray that you'd bless this church. God, I pray that this church would be united. God, I pray that this church would give to the poor. God, I pray that this church would be transparent and honest. God, I pray that this church would submit to its leadership. And God, I pray that this church would give you the honor 
and the glory that you deserve. Make this church a light into this community. Keep drawing people to it. God, protect its members, protect its leadership, and use it for your glory. God, may we be your servants willing to give up anything. God, thank you for setting the example of Jesus Christ dying on the cross for us. I see things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I know this isn't something that y'all normally do at this church, but uh, there's going to be a song that's going to be played on the piano, and I'm going to give you an opportunity to do three things. Remember, I just said bring things to light. I just said we need prayer and we need accountability. Um, If there's sin in your life uh, that you need to deal with before a holy God, I'm going to give you an opportunity to come forward, and all we want to do is pray, pray with you. Um, deacons and other leaders of this church be ready if there's extra people we just want to pray with you that's all we want to do so that you can turn to the Lord the second thing is this passage talked about the church being unified if you are not part of God's family because you haven't accepted Christ and I'm not just saying confess with your lips there's a lot of people who confess with their lips that Jesus is Lord but they haven't made that decision in their heart if you want to accept Christ and be a part of God's family today I want to give you that chance. And also, I love God's church. I love God's church. I've been to places all over the world trying to start and help plant the Lord's church. If you want to be a part of this church and its family, if you want to be held accountable by them, if you want to encourage them, if you want to be prayed for by them, if you want to pray for them, if you want to reach other people's needs, if you want your needs to be met by this family, This church family, come forward and join this church. And I can tell you with 100% assurance, Samuel, a pastor set aside by God, that God has brought thousands of miles to pastor this church. I believe that he will truly lead you in a way that honors the Lord and guides you. I'm going to be waiting up front as the music plays.